This is the Dancepreneuring Studio podcast, session number 158, Dance as a Safe Place. Hello, my friends, and welcome to session number 158 of the Dancepreneuring Studio podcast. I'm Annette Bone, and the Dancepreneuring Studio is the place where dance inspires life and business. I get the joy and the privilege of sharing my journey back into the dance world after a super long hiatus, the lessons I've learned, the transformation I've experienced, and the wonderful creatives I've met along the way who also share their stories, their ideas, strategies, and tactics to help move your life and your business forward. So two things before we get into today's session. Number one, I would love to have you join me on Facebook Live for a live broadcast on Monday, March 26th at 8am Pacific Standard Time. Now by the time you listen to this, it might have passed, but you can still catch the replay and I will be checking any comments or questions that I get and get back to you. So whether you tune in live or you catch the replay later, I would love to have you. And that would be on the Dancepreneuring Studio fan page, business page. So I would love to see you there. Secondly, I would also love to see you in my private Facebook group, The Dancepreneuring Collective. You can send me a direct message and I'd be happy to add you and I would love to get to know you better. So let's get into today's session Oh my goodness, I am so excited to share this with you. This is a conversation I had with dancer, choreographer, educator, entrepreneur, speaker, amazing woman, Leslie Scott of Youth Protection Advocates in Dance. And we talk about some heavy subjects, but you're going to love this. And we have some fun at the end. She turned the tables around on me because she found out some things about me, although they're public things, but I just thought it funny because I don't have people mention these things to me all the time. But hey, it's public information. So you got to stay till the end to uh, hear what we laugh about. But this is a really important topic. We talk about a lot of important topics in this conversation, such as dancing to inspire versus dancing to impress. We talk about what her organization stands for, the purpose of it, protecting youth in dance, and also the repercussions that have been uh, that had to be dealt with as adults that have experienced the same things that that have been going on for a while in the dance world. And her organization is in the forefront of getting this taken care of and bringing much needed attention to this problem. So I really hope that you enjoy this conversation. I know you'll get a ton from it. She is awesome. And we had a lot of fun. And I was very much enjoying and learning so much with talking with her, the amazing Leslie Scott. So thank you for joining me. Hi, this is Leslie Scott. I'm the founder of Youth Protection Advocates in Dance. I've spent the last 17 years of my career in Hollywood teaching at the Edge Performing Arts and the Millennium Dance Complex. I've been teaching for 28 years, but now I have shifted my focus and my passions over into the nonprofit YPAD to build empowered communities to keep youth happy, healthy, and safe in dance. You are listening to another session of the Dancepreneuring Studio with Annette Bone. Now that you're warmed up, get ready to go full out with our feature presentation. Gosh, I don't even know where to start with my accomplished guest today, who is not only a seasoned dance artist, but what I love is that she is a dance activist. She's taken this art form and brought the holistic side of it, the social side of it that I think is so important. And I'm a little embarrassed to say that I did not know about her organization until I found out about it at a recent dance workshop by Tina Landon and Jan Fam, the movement, which I have to put a plug in for them. They're doing another one coming up next month at the time of this recording, which is March 2018, April 2018. Be on the lookout. I highly recommend but uh, recommend this workshop. It's so much fun and such a great learning experience and great people that attend. But oh my goodness, my guest today, she's had a career as a performer, as an artist, as an educator, still does, choreographer. But I love what she's done with her organization, Youth Protection Advocates in Dance. And she's brought to light so many issues that I think for the longest time have been kind of pushed away or ignored or 
just kind of accepted as the norm and kind of that's the way it is. And that's what I appreciated about one of her advocates, Tina Landon, who was Janet Jackson's choreographer, talking about how important it is that we as artists, as dancers, help protect youth in this dance world where things are kind of, oh my goodness, the lines have been blurred and and uh, convoluted. And it's just, it's kind of a, oh my goodness, it, it is easy to ignore. And, and people have ignored th- these problems that have come about this, um, come about in the last, oh my goodness, I don't know how long. It's been too long, I think. And so without further ado, I want to welcome the incredible Leslie Scott to the podcast. Leslie, how are you doing I'm great. I'm so happy to speak with you, Annette. How are you today? I'm doing awesome. Oh, my goodness. I really loved meeting your team at JanFam, the movement. They were so incredibly helpful and enthusiastic. And I honestly could have had them talk a lot longer than they did. We were limited on time, and they only had a short amount of time to talk about your organization. But I was curious to know, what was it that got you to start YPAD? What was that turning point? When did you start noticing these challenges with kids, oh my good, being put into different kind of situations, whether it's choreography or something else. Can you talk about that? And and uh, and for people that don't know about youth protection advocates, advocates and dance, can you talk about your organization and, you know, that turning point and what was it that you were seeing? Because you were seeing a lot of things, obviously, before you started the organization and how that all transitioned and also why you left Hollywood. Yeah. Um, well, let's let's go ahead and we'll give a shout out to those people that you met. So thank you, Destiny and Emily and Tina, who was at the Jam Fam movement thing and then that represented YPAD. Um, really passionate, amazing advocates. Um, and grateful that it brought me to you in this uh, this opportunity. I um, you know, I I really I started YPAD about seven years ago, but it was certainly in my mind, on my heart, um, you know, th- things that I was tussling with, that I was being exposed to in the industry. But I think that you know, it really actually started um, through a change within myself because a lot of the topics that we cover in YPAD, the um, emotional, physical, and sexual safety of children in um, all dance environments. You know, I first really had to look at what I was doing within the dance environment. I believe that. That, you know, anybody that goes into activism, advocacy, education, et cetera, you know, you first have to, um, you know, look in the mirror and point the finger at yourself and say, am I contributing to this very problem that I'm starting to have um, some some emotional, you know, dis- distress over? And for many years in, in Hollywood, um, I actually contributed to creating the issues that uh, that we now try to educate about. Um, and so I understand it from all sides. That's why our, you know, our organization is a nonprofit. We have developed into a very strong culture of no shame, no blame. Um, you know, really learning from Maya Angelou's quote, when we know better, we do better. Because I understand being an adult um choreographer, newcomer, dancer to the Hollywood scene and the pressures that are put on us as adults to self-sexualize, to um, present our bodies in certain ways, you know, the more ratchet the music, the more value your class has, um, you know, to put social media following um, um, before you put a purity of of art form, um, you know, to to realize that, you know, almost in in a sense and, and I don't feel I'm overstating it, this pervasive brainwashing in Hollywood and in media that our value is not in our artistry, but in what we look like. And specifically for women and now more and more for men, um, the value of our aesthetics. You know, are we hot enough? Are we sexy enough? Are we cutting edge enough? Is our stomach flat? Are we bootylicious? You know, all of these things that really do lead to several people that I experienced myself and also a lot of my colleagues experiencing eating disorders, body dysmorphia, codependency, people-pleasing behaviors, um, not owning body agency, sexual harassment, bullying, um, you know, the, the gamut runs runs deep on this. And once as an adult, I realized that this environment was very toxic to my own spiritual and emotional and mental wellness. I, I then from there shifted and, and said to myself, but what about all these kids? What about all these children that stood that stand in line at the conventions we teach? 
teach up for our autographs, that want to dress like us, look like us, that every time our music choices are presented to them, it's basically educating them on how to be in the world. So what what messages have I used in my music? What, what videos have them seen on my social media platforms? Am I even thinking about the fact that all these kids that that take me, you know, when I'm a guest artist or come and meet me at a convention, that then they're actually going to be spending every day with me on, on online platforms? Am I considering what am I exposing to them? What am I saying to them about my own belief system when I'm functioning in the capacity of a role model, which is what I was for many years? Um, you know, I, I enjoyed a, a really, um, you know, very exciting and adventurous career being, you know, flown to 22 different countries as a quote unquote masterclass educator and working with celebrities and being represented by one of our nation's top dance agencies and, um, you know, teaching at the Edge Performing Arts and the Millennium Dance Complex in um, Hollywood, which is are obvious like very um, coveted spots to get on faculty at these um, at these uh, performing arts schools. You know, all of those all of those things come at sometimes the cost of when you're now mixing children into the business. And and I I started to come into an understanding that our dance industry, which is now a billion dollar industry, um, as social media and entertainment media started to merge with dance because dance is now online we really had children at the center and children started to become commodities. They started to become exploited. They started to become how you built your brand. How did you get on certain talk shows? Um, well, you get a kid who's got a really high level skill set who can throw your choreography and look really dope doing it. You know, how do you get more people to view your YouTube videos or your, or your Instagram videos? Well, you, you pull out the youngest, most talented kids in class regardless of if the choreography is highly sexualized or the freestyle that the dancers are doing emulate sex or the messages of the music is talking about orgies and drug use and glorifying violence. All of those things are shifted to the side because we are going to quantify dance value on how many likes and followers we have. And one of the easiest pathways to that is to use children. Um, so, so this became a much it was almost like an epiphany upon an epiphany, but it really did have, you know, starts. YPAD starts from me being on the other side of these issues. Um, me being really, you know, very, very, uh, you know, narcissistic, which a lot of us, you know, know narcissism actually really is about insecurity, but um, me trying to keep my name in people's mouths and quote unquote, stay relevant and not considering all these kids that were coming in to take my class, how my choices were impacting them. Um, once, you know, more and more, there was a trend of dance parents wanting to talk to me after class and saying, you know, hey, I've really noticed that my child child is skipping meals and I feel that they're suffering with, you know, body dysmorphia, or I really almost think they're in the throes of anorexia or they're, you know, I caught them, you know, doing sexualized Snapchats and, you know, it's, you know, all of, all of these things. I mean, it was, we can go the spectrum at what parents were starting to confide in me. We really, you know, can't ignore the fact that as dance educators, we are some of the most powerful attachment figures in their lives. We are deaf. I am definitely a, a, a more influential figure than let's say maybe their math or their science teacher, because a lot of these kids, they spend hours upon hours with their dance teachers. They travel with their dance teachers. They go to, you know, comp competition after competition, convention after convention. They are stalking dance celebrities online. Um, that's why social media management and social media um, education is so important to our organization. Um, and, you know, I just, I, I really, couldn't um, continue on the path I was on. I made some pretty hard decisions to um, really trade out um, this commercial career and this commercial dance identity that that I had for some for really advocacy. And I realized, um, at, at, you know, as I straddled the fence, as some of us try to do, right? We just don't want to unfollow the old dreams to have the ability to maybe follow the new. I started to realize how like one couldn't live authentically with the other. I couldn't be dancing for celebrities or choreographing highly, um, you know, sexualized pieces that were not healthy sexuality, but sexualization using misogynistic music, music that had misandry, which is, um, you know, a dislike or contempt or hate for men 
I, I couldn't I couldn't say that that's well I get to do this because I'm an adult so kids why don't you just try to ignore all of that about me and then for you you're going to get the the you know the child friendly Leslie role model you know there's there's no governing body in dance um, you know we don't we don't work under an academic institution that says you have to separate out your mature content online from your um, from you know your child friendly content. Uh, you know, that's something that all of us make a choice once we're educated on this. Are we going to self-regulate ourselves? And I decided I'm going to self-regulate myself. And I think that YPAD has grown um, to the way that it has for one one very important primary factor for me. When I started to come out and want to have conversations with people in the industry, um, studio owners of very prevalent studios that were very lucrative, um, trying to speak with agencies about this. I was definitely bullied. I was blackballed. Um, people didn't want to talk to me. Um, I lost friends. Um, I lost representation. I lost a voice. I lost being invited. I lost offers for jobs. And I know how hurtful that was for me um, as an artist, as someone who who really gave my blood, sweat, and tears to the Hollywood dance community. And I really didn't want that to happen to anybody else that felt viscerally there is something amiss. There's something broken going on here. Um, and that's why you know, why Pat is, has been built upon evidence-based research and why we have accumulated so many incredible specialists on our advisory panel, because, you know, I, I came to find out more and more as I dived in that what I felt in my spirit and my soul actually was corroborated with facts from the American Psychological Association, with facts from the Gina Davis Institute in Gender and Media, with facts from, you know, prominent injury prevention specialists and orthopedic surgeons about how we were worshiping hypermobility and that you know the trends of learning your splits in an hour on Instagram and what's that that doing to young people's bodies um, the research that's out there on social media and the neuroplasticity of the brain and how these children's brainwashing um, you know brain wiring is literally being brainwashed and and the incredible research on sexualization versus healthy sexuality and and how that does lead to mental illness for children um, you know so if we are going to let pop culture be be the sex educator of children and we're going to be a part of that, we're going to have some pretty faulty wiring when it comes to things like saying no, when it comes to things like consent and body agency, um, when it comes to things like healthy relationships with food. Um, so, so all of these things, you know, it's an interconnected web. And the more I dived in, the more I was, I was motivated to bring everything that contributes to these issues underneath the umbrella of our organization. So, um, but you know, that's, that's really how it began for me. And I feel, um, you know, really blessed and grateful that all of these incredible people have come up under YPAD because it used to just be me. YPAD used to be me <laughs> and me trying to like, you know, jump up and down and PowerPoint to everybody. Like, would you at least just have a conversation? Would you at least just have a meeting? Can we go and, you know, gr you know, grab some tea or can I treat you to your favorite dessert? Like, can we just talk about this? Um, and it was very lonely and um, yeah. So, so, but I kept at it because I believed in it in my heart in my heart of hearts, I just knew that I, 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 um, you know, I make, I make a very big joke, but I'm like, this needed to be my repentance because like I said, I was a big part of this for a long time. Um, but I was thinking about myself and I was not thinking about the kids. And I think the coolest part now about YPAD is, is that when I thought I was thinking about myself, I actually wasn't because those behaviors for an adult, self-sexualizing, self-objectifying, dieting down for auditions, um, you know, unhealthy relationships with food, feeling, you know, the casting couch, all of those things as an adult actually were not healthy for me as an adult. So I was, I really actually wasn't thinking about myself because I wasn't, tr I was, wasn't treating myself as a whole person, just like I see now with the younger generation of children. So it's really cool to see all these adults come into iPad who resonate with the message, not only because they love and they care deeply about children and they care deeply about the quality of dance education, but because they actually can save me too. I felt all those things as an adult. Um, I felt, you know, I, I felt that I, my value was only in what I looked like or how good I could execute the routine. I was treated so poorly. I thought it was normal. I basically took a crumb as a buffet. Um, and, and there's a lot of healing that has happened with the adult 
adults that run YPAD and the adults that come in and become certified because for them, it is, it's such a great, um, moment of community that they were not crazy. What happened to them as children, what happened to them as adults isn't good for humanity and it's not good for dance and it's not good for education or for this art form that is so precious and powerful. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's probably a little bit more than what you wanted, but there you go. That's the answer to that question. I could listen to that for a long time, Leslie, seriously, because I so resonate with so many things that you said. And it's funny because I was just in a conversation with my yoga teacher, one of my yoga teachers, and she wants to get into dance and she's actually kind of scared about it. I was never really into the competition world because my self-image couldn't handle it. And I was very self-conscious. I love dance, but I just, I really shied away from the whole competition world. And actually my first dance convention I went to was a Tremaine dance convention and my friend was assisting one of the instructors and I was so intimidated and so like, well, I can't hold my leg up high like that. And I can't, I just, I really kind of started to crumble. But with this conversation, she said, you know, when I look at kids dance and I don't have a bad uh, uh, dance background, I see how dangerous some of the movements are. They might look nice, but what you were talking about, the whole glorification of hypermobility and all the research that you have that you've um, accumulated with all these these are experts. I, that's what I so appreciate that. And, you know, I loved how you distinguish things and clarify things in your FAQ section on your website. And uh, what you said too just really touched my heart about the adults and the advocates that you have on board now and the healing process, the community of, yes, they went through this as children and as adults too. And I remember when I was um, really just trying so hard in high school for dance. And then this choreographer told me, well, you know, you you're doing great and you and um you've lost some weight but i think you need to lose some more that just <laughs> that totally took me back and so i i oh i so resonate with so many of the things that you said so the when was the transition for when you left hollywood what what was that turning point well i actually just left hollywood this past december um i i you know and first, I, I really do want, want to say to you, I'm very sorry that that, that coach said that to you. Um, you know, I, I don't want to minimize that because what we're finding is that there's very, very good people saying very, very harmful things to children. And, and that's why, you know, we do obviously, you know, we run the sex abuse division and we've got that going, but we believe 99% of these people do not fall into the category of a, of a perpetrator or someone who is purposely trying to commodify or exploit children, that there is the majority of these people are really just, um, again, following the trends of this pervasive idea that there's a look to a dancer's body, that a body, you know, that, that you have, that, that dance isn't about the heart disposition. Dance is about the body and, and how the body looks. And if you don't look that way, then somehow you're not allowed to have equal access. Um, so, and how damaging that can be. So we address this very thoroughly in our YPAD certification and a lot of our online um, education and videos about, um, you know, all of our certified educators have to sign creeds, um, code of conduct creed, and a big section in there is about bodies, that they will no longer comment on a person, a child's body, good or bad, because you do not know how a quote unquote good comment could actually be interpreted as a bad comment to a child. It could easily become, you know, that eight-year-old that everybody says has the flat cut stomach eventually is going to go through puberty and gain some weight. So what happens when for so many years, everyone's just obsessed over her stomach and then she no longer has it looking that way? Well, depression, anxiety, a part of her identity became her body parts. So, you know, we, we are really big advocates that bodies are not objects and that there is no place for us to be making aesthetic comments on how children's bodies look. And if we think that they're compliments, a lot of times it's because they've been put through the filters of society's ideas of the ideal body type, which is very narrow. So if someone is giving a compliment, normally it's a compliment that's that culture created. That isn't true. As someone's saying like, wow, you look really good because you lost weight. Well, that might sound like a compliment, but in reality, the idea that a thinner person is a healthier person or a thinner person equals a fit person is just completely not true. You can't tell anything about a person's medical history or their fitness level by what they look like. And that's we all know we've seen, you know, dancers who have bigger 
number of frames and maybe a higher number on the scale be amazing at, at floor work at car at their, their cardio endurance, you know, surpasses somebody who quote unquote might have a, a more ideal body shape. So we've got to really, really dispel those myths and understand how damaging that they are and how our research is showing. It literally takes one comment, one comment to embed in a child possibly um, a motivation to start restrictive eating that could lead to disordered eating that could lead to a full-blown eating disorder. It doesn't have to even be multiple comments. Um, you know, so we, we actually do a visualization exercise and certification when we're talking about this specific section on, you know, why the question and certification is why do we remember hurtful comments from our childhood? Um, because as teachers, we need to, we need to put ourselves back in that disposition of a childlike mentality. And it's amazing that the shares and the feedback um, have just time and time again proven it just takes one comment. It doesn't have to be a teacher who's constantly berating you in or the culture of weigh-ins. It could just be that one teacher who didn't let you have cake that day because you were a pound over on the weigh-in or, or that just like what you just shared. So, um, you know, it's something that we're really passionate about changing because um, it is so culturally acceptable to be commenting on other people's bodies. Um, so it's, it's just so normalized. Um, and, and so you, you asked me about when I left Hollywood. Is that, was yes. that the question? Yes. Well, um, you know, I mean, I, I put in a lot of time <laughs> in that city and, um, I mean, I think it was, it's been almost 17 years and my goodness, my, my growth and my changes and my pain and my suffering and, my joys that that has happened in in Hollywood culture are very extensive, and I just felt that um, you know we we run YPAD now. My my fellow director is also my husband, Joseph Zanovich. And we now also have an amazing three-year-old little girl who has stuck it out with me through hours of rehearsal, who was the, um, you know, was born into being a YPAD mascot. You know, she's three and she's been on 92 airplane rides because that's how much we've been on the road teaching and educating on this. Um, and, I just felt that that you know the what I'm doing now does not have to be done in Hollywood although there is a lot of external value put on being faculty at the edge or faculty at Millennium um you know the extrinsic value that it gives um you know wasn't worth the fact that that I I really didn't want to be be raising my child in Los Angeles in the community that we were raising her. And um you know there's great wonderful awesome people in Hollywood but when you're leading a message that could potentially be going against the grain of how that community makes money um you know you're not exactly invited to things. So you know my 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 community of support um no longer was inside Hollywood. It's in these amazing people that are strewn out around the world in our advisory panel and the people that get um, certified in the places that I get to go to now and I get to teach. And um, I just really made a decision for myself, you know, both spiritually and emotionally and for my family that, you know, my, my, my time being the light in the darkness, which is what, after I had that crossover from being part of the problem to being part of the solution, uh, you know, I really justified staying in Hollywood for a long period of time because I'm like, but I'm being a light in the darkness. I'm being a light in the darkness. But, you know, at some point I just really wanted to be near family and, and, um, and in my family's all here in Colorado and I needed to shift those priorities for my daughter. And also for me running YPAD, um, you know, is I look back on what I thought a difficult dance day was. And I'm like, I had no clue what a difficult dance day was because I was flown in and all I needed to worry about was my choreography and organizing my dancers. And yes, of course there were stresses. There's no doubt that there was a stresses, but it's not the same as what we do now. I mean, we're dealing now with extremely heavy topics with children, anything from sex abuse to self-harm to eating disorders. Um, you know, and it's, and I need to be in an environment and in a city where I feel support and I feel healthy. And I just think that my, my, my lessons in Hollywood were learned and I will never regret 
I will never regret the pain and suffering and the joys and accomplishments that happened th- during my time at Hollywood. I will never, um, you know, the opportunities I had to be on faculty at Edge for 14 years, to be on faculty at Millennium for, I think, 12, choreographing for both of their showcases, you know, year after year. Carnival, the choreographer's carnival is a huge thing. I did 22 carnival pieces. You know, seven of them were anniversary show invites, which is like the coveted invite. I lived that life. And that life allows me now to have have such great insight into why things are happening the way they're happening. And, um, but it's time now to, to move past that. And, um, that's, you know, one of the biggest reasons why we decided to, um, to leave and it was a hard decision, but I have to say that I, I've not regretted it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm new at it. It's only been, uh, three months now. Um, but I feel more focused. I feel clarity of mind and, um, I feel rejuvenated now that I've been out of that city. So, um, that's, that's one of the biggest reasons, you know, why we left and I'm grateful. It, I can imagine how hard that was because you you had an established career as it is uh, in the artistic aspect of because yes it people you know I know people in my own circle they're like oh I want to teach at Edge and I want to teach at Millennium and and they just can't get in because they don't have the number of follow you know all the vanity metrics of the followers and who you know and that kind of thing and so they're really depressed about it and I thought well you know it's just not meant. To meant to be right now, maybe later, but there's other things you can do. So what would you say when you are trying to distinguish between uh, dancing to impress versus dancing to inspire? How do you teach that? I think it really um, comes uh, comes down to to motivation. And a lot of it comes down, honestly, to our belief systems about our value and our worth, um, which is very difficult to to, you know, unmesh from media. Um, you know, I, I really love what you just said, and, and I hope you would allow me to borrow it in, in future moments, but that, you know, the vanity metrics of social media. And I think that dancing, you know, when, when you're trying to impress an external audience, um, you will at some point become a slave to trends. You will, because trends change. I mean, remember when Paris Hilton was the ideal body type, thin, small chest, small bottom, you know, flat, more of a flat bottom. And now, and now look where we've gone. We've gone completely the other direction. The Kim Kardashian body type, you know, tiny waistline, large breasts, you know, you know in, in some cases, you know, bottom implants. Um, so when, when you're trying to impress, you know, if that audience is anybody, then maybe people who, who already know you, who know your essence, who know your onion, right? We're all so complex and made up of all these layers, right? That's, that's different than trying to impress an audience of people who have no personal understanding of who you are or your humanity or your value or even the things that might look like hypocrisies, but just are actually just things that live within yourself that are just the natural conflict of the human spirit, you know? So I think that that dancing to impress never satisfies. It's never going to satisfy because you will become a slave to it. You will, the audience that loved you yesterday will have an issue with you today. The audience, you know, the, the body shape that you, that you went after so hard yesterday will change today. Um, you know, what is the cool yesterday is not going to be cool today. So, so it's, it's really, um, changes you into more of a puppet of your artistry, um, and, and allows you and your creative process to be put on the judgment, the judgment block for pop culture. And I think that, that, that in itself can become emotionally, um, uh, I think that it be- can become uh, really distressing on an emotional level. Um, and I think when you're dancing to inspire that you are, are really recognizing that you are a messenger. My body, my art, my creativity, everything about my community, my my uh, creativity process is what I call message movement. Um, and I feel that I have a message, and my body is going to be a part of that vehicle. But so is the choices of movement. My what what clothing I decide to wear when I say that message. What music I decide to use when I say that message. And I feel that if I'm if if that in itself, which is so which is so unique to me and my journey and my spirit, if that in itself stays pure and my goal is to inspire, if I end up not inspiring somebody, I'm okay with that. 
because because it still to me keeps the the authentic value. It still keeps um, my purpose intact. Someone else's judgment of that can't rob me of what I call you know the spirit swag. That's what we use for our YPAD self esteem and identity seminars for children. We've got a curriculum seven to eleven and twelve to twelve to seventeen. When adult curriculum, where we do body image, media literacy, you know, all of these all of these important things, social media that that really feed into impress versus inspire. So, so, you know, the spirit swag, the definition of spirit swag is the style and character of your soul. You cannot purchase it. You were born with it. But as we get older in this world, we become wounded and we start to lose our spirit swag because we want to fit in. We don't want to be rejected. We don't want somebody to say that wasn't good. I don't like you. Your choreography is dumb. You're too big. You're not sexy enough. You know, all of these things that, that we try to avoid the pain of shame. So, you know, I think that when I'm dancing to inspire, I'm willing to take the risk of being shamed because I have developed my spirit swag and my spirit swag gives me a shield of shame resiliency, which says, this is my, this is who I was when I was a two-year-old dancing in my diaper in my living room, you know, with no idea if my clothes were from Goodwill or were brand name. I had no idea if I had dimples and cellulite on my bottom. I didn't even know if I was a boy or girl. I wasn't gender stereotyped yet. I didn't even have an expectation yet on me regarding my gender. And I just was in full surrender to living, loving, and even to saying I have needs. I need to, I need to go to the bathroom. I need to eat. I need to sleep. And I wasn't worried that somebody was going to think that I was weak or I was lazy because of those things. So, I mean, it's like all of those things go into the creative process because some of us create for the wrong reasons, um, looking for the wrong thing. So, you know, in my experience and journey, that's the difference between dancing to impress and dancing to inspire. Do you think that the popular shows nowadays proliferate the whole, you need to fit into this certain box or this certain ideal, otherwise you're not that good of a performer or dancer or your art doesn't mean anything? I think that just like a smartphone and social media, these Dance-related shows, which have increased 500% in the last 12 years, dance-related TV um, television programming has increased 500% in 12 years. I don't think that they are inherently good or bad. Um, I think that that you know the messaging can be inherently good or bad. And I can only share with you what a lot of children are sharing with me that, um, you know, and, and again, with, without even putting a, any type of a judgment on, on intent, I think that they've done some significant damage. I, I do. I think that um, anytime you have reality programming trying to represent something that is authentic, you're going to run into um, in, into some into some problems. I think anytime that you start to focus on the youth demographic as being your consumers, you start to look at children through the economic lens. And I think that that's a very dangerous path to take with something so amazing as dance and in something that has the power to build such confidence, to build such body love, to build sisterhood, brotherhood, community, community building, to put it into a, um, a structure that, that could potentially promote drama um, purposely, com- uh, can be pitting divisiveness, people on each other's sides because of a competitive nature. Um, really marketing a certain type of a body as this is the in body, this is the out body and, and not really taking ownership of what are the emotional implications of the consumers, which are children and not only the consumers being children now with, with obviously the way that TV program with dance is going, that the actual talent on the shows are children. Um, so you know, there's a lot of things that are very problematic about these shows. And I can give you an example um, if you'd like one. Oh, I would love one. Yes, please. Thinking about the mind of a child, right? And, you know, children, our psychologists always say a child's perception is their reality. I mean, I think that's really for us as adults, too. The difference is, is we we at least have a fully developed prefrontal cortex. So, you know, a, a child doesn't. The prefrontal cortex, which is, I'm sure, as you know, the center of logic and reasoning, only, you know, develops around 25. And some scientists even think 26 or 27. So when children are watching these TV programs, um, specifically, if maybe there is some content on there that 
you know, could, you know, plant some problematic seeds about body image, sexuality, um, competitiveness, um, objectification, et cetera, et cetera. And if you don't have an adult there that is, that has the motivation or even the education to process it with this child, you can again, end up with some pretty faulty, uh, you know, uh, neurotransmitters getting wild, wired there. And here's an example. I was teaching a YPAD self-esteem and identity seminar, and we were doing, it was with a teenage group, and we were doing the section where we come to talking about our bodies. And with the younger group, um, I do not talk about body shame. We do uh, we do a whole other thing with the younger group's curriculum because I would never want to be the one to implant the idea of body shame if a child yet hasn't experienced that. Even though studies are showing that children are showing um, body dissatisfaction as early as five and six years old now. But in this one particular um, group, this young girl was going through an exercise where we close our eyes and she had already said, you know, what her what she was feeling shame about. And she had said the color of my skin. And I said, okay, you know, um, you know, thank you for sharing. We could you close your eyes and can you try to think about when did this start for you? You know, obviously, you know, we weren't born to dislike the color of our skin. You know, when can you remember the first time that you started to feel shame over the color of your skin? And and this, this goes actually a little bit even different than what somebody might might think that it would go. But she closed her eyes and she opened them up like, whoa. And I was like, okay, whoa. She had an epiphany. She goes, dance moms. And I, I, I said, okay, all right. Can, you know, what, well, what happened? And she said, I was watching an episode of Dance Moms and they were spray painting. They were tan painting um, using a spray paint bottle of tanning, um, of tanning uh, paint onto the children's stomachs to make them look like they have a six pack before they went out on stage. And I have very light skin. And ever since then, I've been begging my mom to go to the tanning bed because I think I would look thinner and I would look, um, you know, I would look more fit if my muscles looked better, if they were more tan. And she says, ever since then, I've just hated the fact that I have ivory color skin. And, you know, it it just, of course, like, I, I doubt that people in Dance Moms, you know, really you know, really thought that that was their intent, that they were going to, that somehow, you know, lead to this idea that here's this kid that is watching their programming and that's how their perception becomes reality. But wow, uh, hands popped up and up all over the room about feelings that they were having watching this program and also consuming, you know, Instagram feeds from the, you know, dance celebrities that are on this program. You know, oh, I just feel like I'm such a bad dancer. I feel so fat after I watch that, blah, 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 you know, on and on and on. And it just, you know, it, it made me really sad, but it, feedback like that is, is pretty consistent. And I wish that, that some of these dance programs would really take into account that they would bring on YPAD psychologists, that they would let us come on to part of the production team to be more responsible and accountable to the way that they are, um, you know, disseminating these messages out to the youngest of our population that really is also our future. So if these kids are, are getting from TV programs, these certain beliefs about bodies, sexuality, dance, objectification, all of these things, what are they going to do when they become teachers? What's going, what do you think they're going to produce when they start to write their own dance, you know, when they start to write their own dance TV programming or, or what have you, or they start choreographing. We've already seen it happen. We've already seen it happen. We've seen the eight-year-olds become 18-year-olds. The eight-year-olds that were instructed by teachers that highly sexualize their children. And now they're, now they're 18-year-olds and they're out there teaching as masterclass teachers and their content is highly sexual. So this, this becomes generational. It becomes pervasive. It becomes normalized. Then we become desensitized and then the beat goes on. So yeah, I mean, I, I do, and I don't say this in any way, shape or form to, to shame, um, you know, any of these TV programming, uh, TV programs. Um, I mean, I would love to sit down and talk with Abby Lee Miller. I would love to sit down and talk, you know, in depth with Nigel and, you know, all of these, Randy Jackson and, and all these people that have this, you know, this incredible power to create dance programming that they know that part of their consumer market is children. I mean, they they've, Come on, I mean, kids. Kids are a billion-dollar industry as far as consumers go. Um, so you know, I, I just, I wish that there was more accountability and less commodification in in those terms. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well said, Leslie. I, I just, I love listening to you talk about all this stuff, the passion and the purpose and your intention, and that it's gone full circle. Like you know, it took you looking in the mirror, and then, like you said, you were part of the problem, and now you're part of such an amazing solution. 
And um, what now has been the most challenging? You know, you've gotten past the people that have not supported you, you've lost friends. And, and are there any other challenges that you've run into in terms of just even the operation part of your business? Is there anything else that that has come up and you thought, oh, I didn't know that, you know, I was going to run into that or I didn't know, I wasn't expecting that to happen. Ooh, that's a loaded question, Annette. Um, (laughs) I'm like, how long did you want this to be? Um, Oh my goodness. Well, you know, I mean, I I saw that you you have some nonprofit background. So, I mean, I think that you, you know, you know that 2% of the people do 100% of the work. But, but, you know, I, I think that, you know, our sex abuse division really was developed as those of us in LA like to say organically. Um, it, it really happened because we started to become like a, a hub for people who had been abused to come in and say something to us about it. So, uh, you know, I will say that um, that's been extremely challenging. Our community, um, w- dance does not have a governing body. Now, if we look at what just happened in gymnastics, we know that a governing body does not always um, mean safer environments, right? I mean, that governing body, there's no doubt they were complicit. They knew they did a cover up to save the face and the reputation of the community. I mean, of, of not the community, of their organization. And now the USOC and um, USAG are paying deeply for that. So, you know, we don't have a governing body, but you know what we do have? We've got YPAD. And YPAD is standing um, in the gap of a governing body. We've created standards on evidence based research. We are fact based. And I think that one of the problems that we're having right now. Um, in, in our dance industry is I would like to say less posting more progress. And that is a quote from Misty Lound, the founder of more than just great dancing. Who's one of our advisory panel members and also one of our, um, our first visionary sponsor, less posting more progress. You, we are not going to be able to solve this problem without getting in the trenches and becoming advocates. This is not, um, this is not, um, uh, uh, work that you don't get your hands dirty in. This is, this is, you're, you're going to not be named or sometimes high-fived for it. But, but all of the posting going on in our community right now, I am not saying that there's not a place for it. Of course, we need to talk about these issues. But what I wish from an operational standpoint is that people would actually become educated on the issues. Because part of the problem is is what we had in the beginning when I started YPAD is that people are talking from their opinions. They're using shame tactics. They're blaming people. They're making this a moral issue instead of an educational gap. They're, and no one's going to listen to each other that way. You know, we can't say, YPAD cannot say that we're an education-based organization and shame and blame at the same time. You know, we those two things are not going to live in harmony in, this, in the same home. So I, I wish that our community that that spends so much time going online and blasting everybody and you know CPS should be called on this parent and and you know they're so gross and they're so disgusting i i really wish that that they would take that passion the people that are that are that are pro YPAD and i wish that they would go through the certification program and they would get educated on how to actually become an advocate they would actually use facts instead of going in and shaming and blaming somebody drop an educational video and then get out you know i don't know many people's minds that were changed from a post you know so i mean it's like I think that from an from an advocacy and an operational standpoint, it's just it's been frustrating because um, no one's going to want to sit at the table with YPAD if they think that they're going to be attacked, and and then education is missed. So I think that there is that there is a lost in translation of the message, and I really get it because I used to be more like that. I used to be more aggressive with the way I communicated. I used to think I was an advocate without really understanding. You know, I knew sexualization was wrong. I knew I had participated in self-sexualizing and what it did for me, and I didn't want that for anybody else. But it wasn't until I decided to sit down and educate myself and be willing to receive training from people who knew who knew these these things in and out. They spent their whole life on advocating for children. They spent their whole life on studying sexualization. Until I was willing to do that, I don't think that that I I actually could have called myself an advocate. And and I, I wish that our community was willing to unite more because 
because, you know, part of this is, you know, in Florida, this is appropriate. And in Arizona, this is appropriate. And in New York, this is appropriate. But we all, we thought about that. And when we developed YPAD standards, we had so many people from all walks of life that actually had very differing opinions. And what we said is, okay, but can we agree on this? Can we agree that it is not a good idea to play music that has misogynistic messages? Can we agree? You know, we whittled it down to the standards that now became the YPAD tools, not rules, which actually does become if you become YPAD certified, because you're saying I, from a free will standpoint, will self-regulate by signing this creed and becoming YPAD, edu- um, you know, YPAD certified. I'm not going to wait for a governing body. I'm going to get myself educated and I'm going to do it now. Um, so I think that that's, you know, that's definitely, you know, been frustrating. And I think that, you know, obviously as a nonprofit, we have been so in the trenches of doing the work, like we are, we don't fundraise. And as a lot of nonprofits come on, you know, we don't have big sponsors. As a matter of fact, the people that you would think would be sponsoring us don't want to sponsor us. You know, in the words of, of, of an anonymous person, they said to, to me, um, Leslie, you're effing with our money because they look at children as, as dollar signs. So we're not going to get these big, huge sponsors. What we need is a grassroots effort for people in dance who care about this to donate something to us, to, you know, recognize that, that, you know, like Margaret Mead said, you know, don't think that, you know, a small group of citizens can't change the world. Indeed, that's the only thing that ever did. Well, that's what we're doing, but it's going to take people to be willing to sit down, get trained on the, on, on the signs of sex abuse and dance, get trained on why hypermobility and why some of these tricks and trends are so dangerous, get trained on the neuroplasticity of the brain. And then, you know, don't donate five bucks, like be, you know, be a part of the solution. And, and I think that that from an operational standpoint is, is obviously, you know, frustrating because posting is not, is not, is not the, and, and I want to be careful with this because I don't want people who post to think that I'm, I'm judging them. Posting is important, but posting is not going to get the job done. If we go online and spend two days, like some of the networks do, going back and forth, fighting our ideologies about costumes, fighting our ideologies about music, did you know that not one kid actually gets changed by that? Not one kid gets is a benefactor of that effort. But it seems comfortable for people to become online advocates without actually, you know, coming out in, you know, it's not glamorous work, but it's satisfying. And that is one thing that I would just ask the community to do. If anyone's listening to this, like volunteer for us, you don't have five bucks, fine. Then volunteer for us, help, you know, help us find sponsors, help us with admin, help us with anything. Um, you know, so, so, I mean, I think that that's, you know, that's something that I, I just wish there's, there's millions and millions of people in dance and so many people believe in this, but I think that they don't even really know what this is um, because it doesn't work to say you believe in it. And then you go out and you shame and blame in the name of YPAT. <laughs> I'm like, please. Yes. I mean, that's like, how many times am I like, oh my goodness, like they just used, you know, they just, you know, used part of our resources through and completely like shamed and blamed that person. And that person is never going to watch the video that they posted because why would, I mean, why would I want to watch a video from an organization that's basically telling me I'm a bad, awful person who's hurting children? Like that's not our messaging. So I think that's another thing is in our YPAD certification, we have a whole section on how to be an advocate, the language, the verbiage, and the why. You know, we know, trust us, how, how triggering this is. A lot of us in YPAD, we're in YPAD because our ourselves, us ourselves are survivors of something, whether it's an eating disorder or it's sex abuse or it's harassment or it's objectification. We don't think about the psychological intimidation. You know, that's why we have a whole module on psychology of injury about how these kids and how even us as adult dancers are told that our value is only if we keep going. Like we don't get a paycheck if we're not going to do the show on a broken foot. So what do you do? You do the show on a broken foot. And then everybody high fives you and thinks you're superwoman and thinks you're amazing because right. you leave the day. So this culture of superwoman, this culture of everyone applauding that you danced with 103 degree fever is objectification. It's a, it's a societal objectification that leads us to the final stage, which is self-objectification. So, so, you know, it's, it's, we're, we, we understand the triggering of these things. And I think that going through certification also allows for us to say, we can't be advocates if we're so triggered by the content that we can't speak about this in a way that people will listen to us. So I, and I, I hope that that makes sense, but it's like, you know, I've seen people come and go through YPAD 
who didn't want to do their own self-work. They didn't want to deal with their own brokenness. And instead they wanted to jump to, I'm an advocate for for children. And instead of, instead of first saying like, hold on a second, you need to first handle your eating disorder. You need to first, you know, go and look at what happened to your, you know, when you were abused as a child and, and let's get on a healing journey because then when we talk about these things, we don't have to point fingers, post videos, shame people because that anger that we have has been healed. If that makes any sense. And then, yes. and then the, the issue doesn't have to, the issue is my goodness, Annette, the issue is divisive enough. We don't need the delivery to add to it. The rhetoric does not need to be, you know, so angry and aggressive. And we've done the work so people don't have to do that. Like we've got the, the facts. So you don't, you don't need to put all the extra bells and whistles that's going to shift people away from this mission or make them believe that we're, you know, we're, we're not a watchdog group. Yes. Are we a compliance agency? Yes. Have we become a regulatory body? Absolutely. But we're not out there, you know, as a watchdog group to create, you know, shame campaigns to take away people's business. Those are the people that I want to sit down and talk to. Uh, Those are not the people that I want to steer away from me. Yes. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That's so great. I love how you talked about that. It also reminds me of, um, oh, I don't, should I talk about this? The whole thing with uh, vegans, with veganism. I know um, a lot of people that are that have chosen that particular eating style, or if you call it eating choice, but they're very militant about it. So anybody that is a, is, you know, they're very much an advocate to not eat animals and have all this all, have all this um, information and everything. But then it's the whole shame and blame thing too with the eating. And so there is, you know, it's kind of exactly like that. And I mean, you, you know, anytime that we become evangelical about something, we run the risk of bringing of becoming tribal. And when we become tribal, then we're like, there's an in and there's an out, you know, and, and, you know, one of, I mean, I, it's interesting in our, in our, in our, in our education and our programming, you know, we speak about how important it is that we do not impose our, our eating lifestyles, our eating choices on these children. And I'll give you an example with veganism. You know, we had somebody who was very evangelical about veganism and about fasting. Um, they were a very well-liked teacher and she imposed this on children in her class and four people actually tried it. Three of them got sick. One of them um, ended up um, being successful. And in talking to the adults in the situation, I will never forget when the adult said, um, oh, oh yeah, and that one that, you know, wow, she was just so awesome and so disciplined. It's like this idea that disciplined eating somehow is something to be worshipped and high-fived. And and I'm saying this talking to you all as a vegan. I'm a vegan. You know, I was actually raised a vegetarian. I was raised, my parents were, you know, PETA activists, people for the ethical treatment of animals. So I was raised to believe that animals have souls. And, you know, I was the kid that didn't eat the birthday cake at the party because there was eggs in the cake. I mean, so, you know, so, I mean, it's like, but, but I would never in a million years try to think that I should be imposing my, my eating lifestyle on children who I do not know their medical history. Becoming a vegan is not something that you do without thought. I mean, there is absolutely yes. no physical considerations. People get sick. People get sick becoming vegetarians. People can get sick from eating too much meat. I mean, food is, is in a lot of ways medicine and used the wrong way. It can also cause you harm, just like side effects of medication. So, you know, this, this idea of, of, you know, if I, if I really believed in veganism and I wanted someone else to try it out, I have to think about if that was my real goal, if my real goal was that I wanted to turn them on to something that felt really good for me, I needed to hold space for the fact that it may not feel really good for them. And it may not be the answer to, to their health problems. Like giving up dairy has helped my chronic pain and my, my, my pain inflammation. I mean, I've been teaching for 28 years, obviously, you know, when you use your body for a living, there's going to be a consequence. So I've given up dairy, but not everybody has that response to dairy. You know, not everybody feels the same way about animals, I feel. And I need to hold space for that. So it's the same thing with this, with what we're talking about with education that I don't mind when I see my friends posting things about veganism, but I do mind even as a vegan myself, when I feel that they're doing it as as in a, in, a, in a way that is is making them superior to other people yes. who might find that eating meat actually is where they feel the most optimal health. That subject of veganism, it's, it doesn't elicit a simple response either, whether you're for it or you're against it or whatever. But just in my experience, uh, there was this woman who um, she was extremely 
very vocal about, well, I'm a loving person and, and, um, a very spiritual person, yet I'm judging, but her actions were she was judging people that ate meat. And so it made veganism very unattractive because just because of the way she was, because she was saying one thing, doing another, and yet judging people for what they were eating, what they weren't eating, and being very vocal about it and attacking. So it's, it's a very, uh, <laughs> when people get, um, like you said, evangelical about things, it, it can um, it can be quite interesting the way that they approach it. But I think it all comes from like what you were saying. It's getting that internal mindset and you know looking at yourself first before you're going to um, try to teach other people about it. And even if they don't, if they want to learn about it, it's not really up to you to decide that. That's really people are going to receive the message that they want to receive and learn the way that they want to learn that's going to be applicable to them. And you need to honor that. And so I love the way that you talked about holding space for people that you have intentionally. And I know that that's been obviously from your experience, it's been a learning process. So I really appreciate that you shared that, Leslie. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've got people in my life that don't agree with YPAD and I'm not going to give up their friendships because they don't agree with YPAD. I mean, I can... I can hold space for them to, and I can hope that maybe someday, you know, they'll, they'll, you know, that's when I'm like, Hey, well, could we send you a free login to the certification? And maybe you could just go through it and give us your feedback or, you know, but somebody's value to me isn't if they, if they agree with YPAD, do I believe that what we're, do I, do I believe a hundred percent that what we're educating on are best practices for children? I absolutely do. But do I believe that even my friends right now that haven't come around, that they are not coming around because they somehow don't like children? No, I think that they need to, they've got some growing and some healing to do on their, in their own, um, before maybe they can understand some of, some of these, these things that we're, that we're talking about that took me time to do. So I really, you know, I want to, um, because I mean, like veganism, it's like it, these things, they only become triggering. A lot of the times they become triggering because of the rhetoric that they're, the, the vehicle of the verbiage and the language and the tone they're delivered in. Anytime that we try to tell somebody that they're less of a person or their, their value is less or they're inferior to us because they don't do A, B, and C, we, we're going to lose educating them. And I don't, yes. and, and, and that's, if our whole goal is to educate people, if I can sit here and tell you, I used to let kids into my classes at the edge and millennium, you know, when, when studios would come at summer times are just packed, right? I mean, it's like your classes, are yes. like, you know, 70 to a hundred deep easy and people will come across the country. People will come across the world. You know, I remember people coming from Japan and Germany just to take my classes. You're like, what? You know, I mean, what if, you know, what if they were a 12 year old and you're, and you know, back in my day, you know, I'm teaching something that is totally, you know, self-sexualizing and the music is, you know, really, whoo, that messaging isn't right. You know, I remember going outside and trying to talk to the parent or trying to talk to the studio owner and being like, you know, I just don't feel comfortable um, because this is actually like really, really mature. And them saying, oh, well, you know, they've seen worse things or, well, we came all this way and me not being the final word and me letting it happen. Um, letting it happen. I was not a bad person. I really wasn't. I didn't get it. I didn't, I didn't, I, I wasn't quite clear yet. I, I knew even when I was doing these things to myself, I knew even in my, in my, I even knew then without the education, like something wasn't right there because I remember, you know, 10 years ago, going outside in the hallway and trying to, trying to divert these people from my classes. You know, now anybody can come take my class. You can be five or 70 or 18 and it's, it's, you're going to be, I'm cool because my content, <laughs> it, I just, it's, it's just not even authentically who I am. I'm not even that anymore, but you know, I, I, I have to remind myself of that, Leslie. I have to remind myself of that person and that, you know, that identity. And I, I was on a different place in my YPAD journey and everyone's in a different place in, in terms of these topics. And wow, we cover so many topics. They're probably in 12 different places because maybe you're really evolved on sexualization, but you haven't yet connected to how it impacts body image and our relationship with food. Maybe you're really evolved on sex abuse, but you didn't really realize that sexualization and sex abuse actually live on the same continuum. Like, you know, that's, so it's like, there's so many things that I could use as a judgment point, but in reality, they're just all educational opportunities missed. If I, if I come from a judgment point. I love that. I love that you come from that. And it's so obvious in talking to you now, just uh, the more that you talk about this stuff, Leslie, the more excited I get. I'm like on the edge of my seat as you're talking about all this stuff. It's fantastic. Well, I'm happy so we're going to excited about it because we need one more excited person, Annette. <laughs> 
Yay. Oh, awesome. So I'm going to, let's kind of switch the tone. I mean, we've talked about some serious stuff. I mean, it is serious. It's, it's educational. It's serious, but it is, it is a huge, important issue that, you know, still people still ignore. And I'm so glad that you guys are on the forefront of getting this to be, you know, more mainstream and it has already, but you know, I know you're thinking there's still more work to do. So um, I'm going to make it a little bit light now. And I call this the dance printer and quick step. So <laughs> these are the three questions I ask all my guests toward the end. So the first one is dance style you haven't tried, but would like to and why? So knowing you and your extensive career, I'm pretty sure you've tried everything, but is there something you haven't tried? Oh my goodness. There's gotta be something I haven't tried. Okay. Hold on a second. <laughs> let me, let me get into it. Oh, I, I, the first thing that comes to mind is I have not tried clogging and I would, I've not, I mean, I would totally try it though. You would. Oh my gosh. That's one. It's kind of cool to watch, but I don't know if I, I don't know. Maybe I'll change my mind on that okay. one. You're the first person I think that said that. But <laughs> so my second question is this, and I'm sure your, your answer would have been different back then when you were in, in the heart of the Hollywood commercial dance industry, as opposed to now. So your favorite dancer or choreographer and why? Mm, oh my goodness. I have an affection for, I would say, and an admiration um, and an adoration for Debbie Allen. I think just um, really because, because of her commitment to education, her commitment to inclusiveness and diversity and just the strength of her presence. And so I, w- I, would, I would say Debbie Allen, yeah. Oh, okay. I, I can I can see that for sure. And the third question is the dance style that currently describes your day right now and why? Well, the, the, the dis- message movement. There we go. Because I've created that as a dance style now, okay? Ooh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. Yeah. I don't know. Is there like chaotic dance form out there? It's been a, it's been, I was really looking forward <laughs> to talk to you, talking to you because every other thing was like, crisis management, crisis management, crisis management. I was like, I was, I was like, tick, the, t- the clock was ticking and I was like, oh, but that talk with Annette, that's going to be so nice. Um, oh, good. I'm glad you were looking forward oh, to it because yeah. I was totally looking forward to it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Oh my gosh. So mess. I love that message movement. Oh, and spirit swag. Is that what yes, you said? Spirit oh, swag. It's, oh, just when I was reading about that, I thought I just, it, it had such a calming effect on me when I was reading about your organization. And I thought, oh, my goodness, she's addressing all these things I would have loved to have had access to when I was before I gave up dancing. I thought, I wonder if that would have made a difference for me where I didn't feel like I was like I wasn't enough. Like I couldn't because I didn't fit into this certain then, you know, I totally devalued myself and and I allowed myself to listen to all these things. And then I quit for 20 plus years. I mean, that's a long time to be away from something that I loved so much. And well, you're um, probably busy being the president of the Menudo fan club. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so maybe you, maybe you had other things you needed to put your skills, your skills into. <laughs> oh my gosh. Do you remember them? Of course I do. Yes, of course I do. They were, I was raised in Tucson and they were huge in Tucson. Yes, of course I do. No, but, but but on a serious note, I mean, I think what you're saying is is absolutely real. And that's that's what we don't want to have happen, right? I mean, every child, regardless of anything, um, ethnicity, sexuality, um, you know, a- anything, culture, ability, every, you know, every child should have access to dance and should never made to be feel like they have to qualify for that access, right? Just like going to the oh, ocean, yes. you and I do not have to be quote unquote beach body ready. Like let's just put on a swimsuit and go feel, you know, the sand in our toes. Like we don't have to qualify to go, to go to the swimming pool. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with, with, you know, what you said, like how many years, you know, would it have made a difference because you left it because of these feelings of not, you know, not feeling good enough. So, so in, in the theme, and I know we're wrapping it up here, I want to change roles with you and I want you to do what the kids do. And I want you to come up with three, I got spirit swag statements. So these, these have to be things about your spirit and your character and your soul. So it can't be, I am a dancer because I am a dancer maybe as part of your identity, but if God forbid something happened and you didn't dance anymore, you could still be an, I am empathetic. You could be an, I am intuitive. You 
you you still get yes. to be those things. You know, you know, if a person loses thirty pounds, that didn't make them a more I am helpful. You know what I mean? So, right. so all of yes. those things that we tend to want to believe about ourselves. You know, I wish I was richer. If I did it, those things are spirit swag. You know, my skin all of a sudden becomes flawless. Now I'm more empathetic. Like no, that does those things are not connected. So who we are and what we do are two separate things, and then they can connect though, and they can really like have. Um, synergy when it comes to connecting the spirit swag with them. So do you have three I am spirit swag statements that describe you? Yes, I definitely do. I am passionate. I am tenacious. And I am enthusiastic. Yes, you and has, are. You know, <laughs> I believe you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. I love that. I oh, my gosh. I just I love what you've done. It's been such a pleasure to have you and to talk talk with you, Leslie. I'm so honored that I get to share this. And for those of you listening out there, please check out her organization, Youth Protection Advocates and Dance. It's YPAD, the number four, change.org. I will link everything in the show notes. Leslie, thank you so much. I could talk to you and listen to you for a very long time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Annette. I appreciate this opportunity. Thank you for listening. This has been a session of the Dancepreneuring Studio. Find the archives of this show at annettebone.com slash podcast or on iTunes. Contact Annette at annettebone.com. This podcast copyright by annettebone.com and dancepreneuring.com. All rights reserved. The Dancepreneuring Studio is the place where dance inspires life and business.